Whatever role you play as a leader or as a salesperson, speaking in front of others is a critical piece to success. We all have to be able to construct valuable content and insights and then deliver that in a way that influences others to act. Grant Baldwin has been a successful professional speaker for over 15 years. Not only that, but in 2015, he founded the Speaker Lab to give others the resources they need to excel as professional speakers. He's an expert in the skills of powerful influence, and he also understands the business side of speaking. Grant's insights can help anyone level up their speaking skills, not just for paid speaking engagements, but for all the daily and weekly opportunities we all have to influence groups of people, whether live or virtually. My name is Dan Cassetta, and this podcast was originally created to spotlight all the ways that the Cutco Vector Marketing community is changing lives throughout the world. Every so often, we'll reach outside of our community to bring you someone who is helping others to change their lives and can bring tremendous value to this community of listeners. That's just what you'll get today. So thanks for pressing play. Let's get right to it with my friend, Grant Baldwin. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm grateful to have Grant Baldwin with me today. Uh, Grant has been a professional public speaker since 2008. He is the founder and CEO of The Speaker Lab, which is an organization that helps aspiring speakers elevate their game and learn how to get paid as professional speakers. Uh, I met Grant through Front Row Dads. Shout out to John Vroman. And I've uh, wanted to have Grant here to share with the Cutco Vector audience because speaking is such an important part of what we all do in Cutco Vector. So I'm grateful to have Grant here with us today. Grant Baldwin, thanks for being here. Dan, thanks, buddy, for letting me uh, hang out with you today. This will be fun. Yes, indeed. Hey, man, I want to hear a little bit about your personal background to start. Yeah, yeah. Well, I say I always say most importantly, uh, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We have three beautiful daughters. So it's me and a house full of women. It's the absolute best. When we started dating in high school, I was 15-year-old freshman. She was a 17-year-old junior. And so I got myself a cougar. It's worked out quite well. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we, we grew up in Missouri. I was really involved in my local church. My youth pastor had a really big impact in my life. And that was kind of the path I was on for a little while. I went to Bible college, was a youth pastor. And then that's partly how I, I got into speaking. And speaking is one of those things I always really enjoyed. Felt like I was decent at, wanted to do more of. And like a lot of people, I just didn't really know how that industry works. You know, like how do you find gigs and how much do you charge and what do you speak about and who hires speakers? And it just feels like this mysterious black box. And so at the time, I found myself emailing other speakers, harassing other speakers, stalking other speakers, like, man, just someone tell me what to do and learned a couple of things, sort of booking some gigs. And that's kind of the, the start of, of my career since then. Yeah. So as someone in Bible college, were you doing a lot where you were, you were at your church speaking? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So when, so when I was a youth pastor, it definitely gave me a lot of opportunities on a weekly basis to speak to students. So that gave me a lot of at-bats, a lot of reps. Speaking is not different than any other type of skill where the, the more you do it, the better you become. You want to get better as a speaker, you speak. You want to get better as a writer, you write. You want to get better at playing an instrument or a sport or whatever it may be, you do the thing. And so that gave me some natural opportunities to speak. And so that was super helpful. And then every so often on the weekends, I might get to speak in big church to the adults and that went well. I got good feedback there. And so there's definitely something that I just, I enjoyed about speaking and again, wanted to do more of, but 
uh, I just wasn't really sure, like, how does this work? You know, it's not like you you go to college necessarily to be a professional speaker or that there's a natural path to becoming a speaker. And so at that point, again, this was, you know, uh, nearly 20 years ago, it was just as a matter of kind of just asking around and stalking people and just trying to figure out what's going on. What is this speaker circuit thing people are talking about? And, and how do I how do I get a, get to be a part of that? Yeah. Well, tell us how that progressed for you. Like, where did it start and, and how did it continue from there? Yeah. So again, after just emailing speakers and kind of figuring it out, a couple of things here and there, then a big thing that started doing is just kind of reaching out to potential events and things that seem like I might be a good fit for. So a mistake a lot of speakers make is just kind of, you know, I have a, I have a website or I have a demo video and now I just kind of sit back and I wait for the phone to ring. And, and that doesn't work real well. So one thing we drill in speakers is to be much more proactive than reactive, proactive than reactive. So the same thing is true. You know, if you're, if you're selling knives, you know, you just, you can't just put up a website and like, okay, now the orders just start pouring in like it just doesn't work like that and so as as much as we would like it to selling and speaking are both momentum businesses and you've been in this business for a long time so you know that you start to build up some momentum and you start to build up a flywheel and today you probably have a significant amount of uh, word of mouth and referral and repeat business but when you're starting it feels like you're pushing this this boulder uphill in the snow and it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of effort to get going and so i remember that this very first gig that i did I, we were living in Missouri at the time, and I had reached out to an event. Because I had been a youth pastor, I was primarily interested and focused on booking youth-related gigs, so youth conferences, school assemblies, that sort of thing. And so I, I was hired to speak at this Missouri 4-H state conference. Now, if people aren't familiar, 4-H is basically kind of a student leadership group for kids in rural areas, agricultural communities. I know squat about farming, about cows or growing corn or anything like that. So initially I was kind of like, what the heck am I going to talk about, you know, related to, to these students and these kids. And, but was hired to go speak there. I spoke for about 30, 45 minutes to a group of about 300 students or so. And it went great. I got a standing ovation and had a lot of great feedback from it. And the event planner handed me a check for a thousand dollars. And at the time you, you may have, well, it may well have been a, a billion dollars. I was just like, I cannot believe they just gave me this astronomical amount of money to stand on stage and talk. And so at that point, it's kind of for a lot of time, for a lot of speakers, when you book that first gig, it's kind of this boost of confidence. It's like pushing that first domino of like, oh, I can do this. I feel like I know what this looks like and what steps I need to take. And so that was definitely something where from there kind of helped kickstart things for me. So, you know, the first year doing five or 10 gigs, and the next year doing 20 gigs and eventually got to a point where I was doing about 60, 70 paid gigs a year. And it was just incredibly fun and incredibly rewarding. Yeah. And you've had amazing success speaking all over the US at this point. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, for a while I was doing again, 60, 70 gigs a year. I was on the road 80, 90 nights a year, which is fun. But the downside is uh, I had a friend tell me early on, like speaking is a high paying manual labor job in that you get paid really, really well to stand on stage and talk. It's really fun. You take selfies with people and sign a bunch of autographs and that part's cool. But the nature of it is you you have to show up and speak. It's kind of like a surgeon. A surgeon makes really good money to do surgery, but you, you got to go do surgery. And so it's not necessarily a business and it's a job. It's a great job, but it's a job nonetheless. So I was, I was on the road a lot. I was leaving my family, getting on planes and you're waking up and trying to figure out what time zone you're in and what do I need to do? And how do I get home? Everything is optimizing for how do I get home as soon as possible. And so uh, at the time, this was uh, eight, nine years ago or so, I had a lot of people who were asking me about speaking. And that kind of led to saying, hey, I, I figured out a couple of things and figured out how to build and grow my own speaking business. I think I could help other people. And that kind of led into to what became the Speaker Lab. 
Yeah, yeah. Tell us how you started the Speaker Lab and, and a little bit about what you do there. Yeah, so really the Speaker Lab kind of was birthed out of what I wish I had when I got started as a speaker. So again, you know, 15, 20 years ago or so, there weren't podcasts on speaking, there weren't books, there weren't resources, there weren't courses, there weren't trainings. It was just, again, kind of you're, you're just you're emailing speakers and just kind of figuring it out and trying to guess your way through it and, and stumble your way through it. And so in many ways, it was kind of going, man, I, I figured out some stuff. I know that this works. I wish I had this when I got started. And so I had a lot of people who were emailing me, asking me. So we started putting together some resources, some training, some coaching, some course stuff, really kind of created our first core course out of that called Booked and Paid to Speak. And that's still a, the kind of the core uh, keystone training that we offer today. And so it's become a, a mix of, a, of individual and group coaching and training. We also do some done with you, done for you components. So we build your website for you, build your demo video for you. We find speaking leads specific for you. And just try to create, you know, in some ways, this, this business in a box and remove a lot of the barriers and give you the email scripts and the templates. And here's exactly what you do. And here's the steps you need to take. And like, it, it's kind of like hiring a, a personal trainer. You know, when you go to the gym, they're going to tell you what to do, but you still got to lift the weights. They can't lift the weights for you. You still got to get up out of bed and, and go show up at the gym. They can't make you do that. And so we've made it dead simple for, for speakers, but at the same time, it still, still requires work, still requires a lot of effort. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. I, li I like what you're doing there. And certainly for anybody who's listening that aspires to be able to get into speaking and getting paid to speak, that's something that they can follow up with you on and they can work with you on. I want to dig in with you today on like what makes for great speakers. Yeah. Um, the Cut Cutco Vector leaders are essentially professional public speakers. They're in front of people constantly in different settings, whether it's recruiting interviews or training classes or team meetings, which happen weekly, all the way up to larger events. It's something that the leaders of Cutco Vector are doing literally every day as a part of their job. Yeah. And I would love to hear like, what are some of the key principles that you feel apply across all of these opportunities in terms of being great at speaking and influencing others? Yeah, two things that I, I would highly recommend. One is going to be to really tell a lot of stories. And so as humans, we gravitate to our stories. So if I said right now, hey, Dan, let me tell you a story. Like you're immediately drawn in knowing like, is this gonna be funny? Is this gonna be sad? Is this gonna be inspirational? Is this gonna be depressing? I have no idea what this story is about, but I'm in, tell me a story. Stories are also memorable, they're portable. People can, I mean, we can all remember stories that we heard a story years and years ago, and maybe we don't get all the details right, but I, I got kind of the, the gist of it. And I could, I could probably retell a chunk of it right now. And so stories are one of these things that as humans, we we're just drawn to what we relate to. And so I always like also telling a lot of first person stories. And so I like talking about my wife. I like talking about my kids. I like talking about my family because everybody watching or listening is like, oh, I have a family too. And I can relate to those things. When I'm on stage, I'll tell stories about uh, a high school yearbook. I'll tell a story about going to Disney one time with my girls, telling a story about skydiving, I'll tell a story about my first car, just like random type of like personal stories that as humans, we can all just connect to. And, and relate to. So one thing you can do is tell a lot of stories. People are drawn towards stories. The second thing I would really recommend is really spend a lot of time practicing and preparing. Now, this oftentimes goes in conjunction with the level of stakes that are involved with the type of presentation that you're given, right? If you're doing some type of weekly team meeting, it may be lower stakes than, okay, I'm giving a presentation in front of a thousand people and I really need to put some thought and effort into this. 
But the best speakers on the planet, again, this isn't exclusive to just speakers. This is true with anything. The best speakers, performers, entertainers on the planet like spend a massive amount of time behind the scenes to practice, to prepare, to go over. So by the time they get up on stage, it looks effortless. The best speakers on the planet, it looks like, oh, they just, they're just winging it. They're just riffing off the top of their head. And these are just some ideas they're kind of spitting out. Or this is the first time they've ever told that story. And it just happened to be funny. You know, it's like, no, 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 not at all. You know, like they, there's so much intentionality and thought that went into it. Right before we, we started recording here, I was telling you a couple of nights ago, our family went to see Taylor Swift perform, right? So she's on this big, big tour currently. And my girls are big T Swift fans, Swifties, apparently, as they're called now, I've learned. And I was like, all right, I'll tag along. But I got to tell you, Dan, that thing was highly, highly entertaining. It was three and a half hours nonstop, high energy, no intermission. She was 45 songs. I mean, it was legit. And that place was cranking. It was really impressive. But what was interesting was like, I mean, it looks like she's just, I'm just singing songs and having fun out here. But it's like, it was so well choreographed and the production and the stage and the lights, da, da, da. Like just the level of intentionality that goes into it was incredibly impressive. Like another example is, as I know, we're both sports fans. And so you go see an NBA game or a hockey game or an NFL game. And it's like, oh, they're just great athletes. And they can just go out there and have a scrimmage. It's like, no, like there's not. Like there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And that comes from the practice, the preparation that goes on behind the scenes that none of us see, that none of us know about. And so that's the type of stuff that when someone gets up on stage and they're like, wow, they were really, really good. It's the work that happened that you didn't see that made the work that you did see really, really impressive. So those are two things I think anybody can do at any level, tell a lot of stories, ideally personal first person stories, and to also really spend a lot of time of like practicing and preparing. Yeah, that really resonates for me as a leader here in Cutco Vector. I'm, I'm asked to speak at many major events, including our, our national event, almost always been a, a feature speaker at that. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say like that there's a ton of preparation that has gone in when, when the stake yeah. is that high, yep. that is something that I've, I've spent hours and hours preparing, thinking through how do I want to present this concept? How do I want to present that concept? I'll rehearse the speech at least one time, if not three or four times yep. and time myself and just make sure yep. I'm in my my uh, allotted time amount, and that I've practiced putting the thought I have on paper into words in a way that's clear and concise and inspirational. So that whole thing about just practice and preparation, I do think that that's key. And that can be related, as you said, based on the stakes of the event, but that every event, every opportunity to speak in front of people should involve some level of preparation to make sure that we're delivering to the best of our ability. Yeah. One other thing to kind of piggyback on that is, so if I'm giving a new presentation or some material that I've never presented before in some context, a lot of times what I like to do is I like to actually manuscript it out. And the point isn't to have a script that you're going to memorize verbatim, right? So I think that's important to note is you really want to get the the essence of it, the, the main idea of it, but just to kind of like think through the details on how to best tell that story. So if you were to ask me, Grant, tell me about when you proposed to your wife. Well, I could tell you that. I, I was there. I lived that. I remember what that was. But if, if I took 30 minutes and said, all right, give me 30 minutes just to like write it all out, I could probably come back and tell you a better story. I could think about 
about the details of it. What was that day like? What did we say to each other? Who did we call afterwards? Who did we go see? What did I say? What did she say? What was the weather like? I mean, you just think through all of the, the details and it's just a, it's a better, more interesting, more compelling story. So sometimes speakers get so worked up and like, oh, I've got the script and I got to memorize and it's got to da, 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 da. And a couple of things happen when you do that is one, you can become very, very formulaic and robotic. So it's important to remember that as a speaker, you are a human talking to a collection of other humans. And so act like a human. And so that means, you know, so for example, let's say that you're talking and you just have a complete brain fart and you don't remember what you're going to say. You know, for some speakers, like, I don't remember what my next line is and what's my cue. And I'm, you know, drawing a blank here. I've had times where that's happened. And I remember one time that happened and there's a lady on the front row. I was like, what were we talking about? I just don't remember. And it just becomes this laughable moment, kind of this shared experience. But we've all seen speakers before where they're so deep in their own head and regurgitating this script. And I'm supposed to say this like this, and then I take five steps over here and I move my hands like this. And it's just like, ah, it just feels phony and fake and forced. And so as a human, act like a human on stage. And so if you forget something, that's fine. If you kind of lose your train of thought, that's okay. Whatever, like just act like a human, but again, be prepared, be ready. So another thing to keep in mind is, let's say that you're at a, a sporting event and someone's doing the national anthem. If someone, if the person doing the national anthem forgets the words and the lyrics, everybody in there knows it because we know what the lyrics are supposed to be. But if you're giving a speech or you're giving a presentation and like, let's say you forget a point or you do points out of order or you forgot a line or whatever, Nobody knows. Nobody has any clue whatsoever of something that you were going to say and you didn't say or you forgot or like, oh, dang, I forgot that story. Like nobody has any clue because nobody's following along. So all that to say, like, be prepared and spend the time, you know, again, kind of manuscripting it out, perhaps. But don't feel like you have to memorize this word for word script. Right. Exactly. Great points. Great points. When it comes to stories, Grant, are you looking for stories that are where the purpose is like entertaining and to sort of humanize yourself? Or are you looking for stories where there's a lesson that's going to come out at the end? Or is it both of those things? I think it can be both. And again, every speaker is going to be different. Now, for me personally, who I am offstage is... I like to use humor. I like to tell jokes. I like to attempt to be funny. And so that tends to translate on stage if I'm going to try to incorporate humor. Now, humor works incredibly effectively for speakers, but it's not necessarily something where if you're like, I'm not really funny in real life and I'm kind of a serious tone, like that's fine. Don't try to force something that is not there. Another tip here is that oftentimes people are like, I don't know if this is funny or not. And I don't know how this will translate. If you are someone who uses slides, and we can talk about slides, I got feelings on that. But if you're someone who uses slides, slides can be a great replacement for something that's that's humorous, right? So I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, I was at a conference and a friend of mine was, was doing a keynote and he played a video, like just a short, funny video and hysterical fit in really well. And so later I was talking with a, I was doing a workshop. And I said, hey, what'd you think of the, the session? Everyone's like, oh, it was great. I said, what was your favorite part? What was the funniest part? And they said, oh, that video, right? And so they associate this speaker like that was a great speech. That was the hilarious speaker. But the funniest part was him hitting play on a video he didn't even create. So let's say it's a funny meme, a funny GIF, a funny video, something where like you just play it, you 
push next in advance on the slide and something comes up and that creates humor that you didn't have to like tell a joke and you know anything like that but it creates humor that is associated with you as a speaker so that's just one little little trick and tactic there so as it relates to storage a good exercise for everyone is to get into the habit of capturing stories so i heard it explained one time like have your radar up okay so for example this story i tell about disney it is my wife, and our girls, we were at Disney a couple of years ago and we're leaving Disney and something kind of funny happens, funny interaction with one of my daughters. And we get to the car and I just write it down. And I was kind of like, I don't know. It wasn't like, oh, I know exactly how I'm going to use this. And here's how, here's the angle I'm going to put. And here's the point I'm going to make out of it. And it's going to be funny or inspirational or whatever it may be. Like, I wasn't really sure. Was just like, there's something there. There's something there. So I'm just going to, I write So I literally pulled out a, a note on my phone and I just wrote down kind of the idea of the story just for my own recollection there. Right. So when things like that happen, get into the habit of just capturing it, just writing it down, may become something, may not become anything. But that way, when you are either working on a new presentation or you're giving a speech or whatever, you've got kind of a bank that you can go to of, hey, here's some different stories or just some ideas. And maybe there's something there, maybe there's nothing there. But when you have stories like that, that you've captured, it also gives you a chance to kind of marinate on them. And like, what's the angle? Am I going to use this? I heard it said one time that things that marinate and crock pots taste better than things that are cooked in microwaves. They just kind of sit in there and they're just kind of stewing. And that's kind of what a story is. It's just kind of like, ah, I'm just kind of kicking it around in my head. I don't know. It's maybe something or maybe nothing, but I'm just kind of just kind of playing around with it. So get in the habit of capturing stories and then kind of figure out what, what you can do with them from there. I love that. There's so many like funny things that happen every day when you have little kids. And I oftentimes have caught myself being in the moment with something that happens and thinking, oh, that's so funny. I got to like yeah. talk about that somewhere. But if I don't write it down, I almost always forget it. Yeah. But the ones that I've taken the time to write down or to like find a way to share right away in the moment, yep. those are the ones that stick and resonate. Right. And I can still think of one right now off the top of my head that, uh, that came up with my, my son. And those are the ones that you, you remember. So I, I really like that idea of capturing the stories so that when you're preparing, you have a bank to look back on that you can incorporate. Because the other thing, like w- whenever you're giving a speech or a presentation, or specifically when you're telling a story, like audience members, we find ourselves in those stories and we find ourselves in that talk. So if you were to tell that story about your son, or I was going to tell a story about going to Disney or something, everybody here would be like, oh, the same thing happened to my kid, or oh, my kid saying this said the same thing. Like when you talk about like observational, humor, for example. You know, there's a lot of great examples of that with comedians. Jerry Seinfeld is a great example of that. Have you ever noticed when you go to the supermarket and da-da-da-da-da, or have you ever noticed in, when you're on an airplane or when you're in traffic and such and such, and they, those type of things where people are just like, that's so true. It's funny because it's true. And oh, that just happened to me and I can relate to it and I can identify with it. So when you have those stories, like you said, just just like write it down, capture just in your notes or a piece of paper or something. And again, it may become something, it may be nothing, but you, you've captured it there and you've got a chance to kind of evaluate what to do with it from that point. Yeah. Is there a go-to story you could share with this audience here? And maybe it's the Disney story or maybe it's something else. Yeah. I'll tell you the Disney story. So I'll, let me kind of like, let's do it this way. Okay. We'll just do this off the cuff here. Let me tell you the story as if we're just kind of giving a speech here and then let's, let's kind of backtrack and I'll kind of explain some thought process. Okay. So I mentioned a lot of times I'll use this to introduce my, my wife, my girls, here's who my family. 
And so several years ago, my wife and I take our girls to Disney. Now, I had never been to Disney as a kid. And so this is my first opportunity to go to Disney. In fact, we brought my mom with us to Disney as well. And my mom had never been to Disney. And so we go to Disney all there for the first time. I'm walking around with my mom and I was like, oh, mom, it's the teacups. Check it out, mom. It's the teacups. You remember when I was little and you and I went on the teacups? You remember that, mom? You don't remember that? That's because you didn't bring me here, mom. It's a great reaction. <laughs> and then uh, I said, so before we go to, to Disney, though, my wife said, hey, what we're going to do is, is all the girls are going, the little girls are going to dress up like little princesses. And I was like, what? Like, we're going to be that family, you know, like, I don't want to go around and, and be judged or whatever. And she's like, no, no, I promise other people will be doing this. So the girls get dressed up like princesses. We go to Disney, we start walking around. And as we're walking around Disney, something very interesting happens. Like all of the employees or the cast members, as they're known, whatever they were doing, they would stop what they were doing. They would go out of their way. They would greet my girls and they would call them princess. And so they would say something like, princess, your dress looks beautiful today. And, and princess, are you having a great day? And princess, welcome to the magic kingdom. And this goes on all day long, like so much so that like cast members, employees are walking up to us. And I'm like, princess, we got it. Thanks. It's just kept happening. So we've been there all day at the magic kingdom. We've had a great day. We're getting ready to leave. We're walking back down Main Street there, headed out. I'm walking along with my oldest daughter, and she's probably six or seven at the time. We're holding hands, having the sweet little daddy-daughter moment. And she looks up at me, and she says, Daddy, I think they really believe that I'm a Disney princess. <laughs> and I was like, I'm starting to wonder if you actually are. This place is really magical. How do they do that? And so the point of the story is, if one person calls my daughter princess, it's cute but I wouldn't tell you about it. But when enough people say something to the point that by the end of the day, my daughter is literally questioning whether she's been transformed into a princess, it's made a difference. And so we could, now let's take that story and let's incorporate it a couple different ways. Let's talk about culture, for example, okay? So from a company standpoint, right? If one person represents the company well, and from a sales standpoint and gives a, does a great job representing Cutco Vector, you know, like that's great. But if we all do it, that's the type of thing that starts to create some type of impact, right? You could do it in that context. You could do it in the context of if I was speaking at, let's say, like I used to do a lot of speaking at high schools and colleges. So I might say, Think about how the words that we say to other people and how they impact you, right? Mm -hmm. And how that, how you, enough people say something that by the end of the day, you start believing it. And you're like, wow, I think I really am a Disney princess, right? So there's a, there's like a meaningful point to the story, but there, you can use some humor throughout the way, throughout the whole thing. So if we kind of go back to the beginning, I'll connect the story to, you know, this is my first time going to Disney and I brought my mom along. So let's, and it's her first time. And, you know, oh, you remember when I went to the teacups and let's make a joke about that, right? It doesn't impact the story in any way. It wasn't like the this big meaningful part that moves the story forward, but it's just a, a quick little tangent, funny line, right? Then later we're talking about how everybody's saying princess. And if people have been to Disney, they know like, oh, I know that happens. You know, I know what you're talking about. And so much so that like it can become annoying and it can become obnoxious because they all keep saying it, right? But then whenever we are walking out, having the sweet daddy daughter moment and she says, daddy, I think they really believe and if you pause there for a second, people start connecting the dots. Part of humor is letting people do one of two things. Either get to the punchline before you deliver it, because people are like, oh, I know what he's going to say. And then you say it, and they're like, I knew it, right? Or it's a bait and switch, meaning like, oh, I thought he was going to say this. And then he said something totally different, right? And so when you allow those pauses, and sometimes it's just like a facial expression, sometimes it's a pause with just kind of a smirk, then they start to get it in their mind of what the punchline, they're kind of finishing the sentence in their mind. 
So that happens. Or later, as, I, as I'm kind of telling the story, where I will talk about how when I'm making the point, I was like, enough people said something to the point that my daughter is actually questioning whether she's actually been transformed into a Disney princess. Like each of those pauses allows people just to laugh because they know where it's going, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be an example of, again, that story happens. You get in the parking lot, you write that down. Like, I don't know what I can turn that into. Maybe it's something, maybe it's nothing. But again, also showing like it could be for culture. It could be how the words that you use to other people. It could be something teamwork related. There's a lot of different angles of like how you could put some type of spin on that. Yeah, that's great. Awesome stuff. I love it. There's a lot of pressure there. (laughs) Put you on the spot. No kidding. Yeah. Good job. Good job. Hey, what happened for you in the pandemic? Like, how did you have to pivot your business and how did you have to pivot the coaching you were doing for other speakers? Yeah. So, man, it was a, it was super, super stressful for a little while. You know, it was obviously that was the case for everybody. So I think back January, February, 2020, and everyone's kind of like, you hear about what's going on in Europe? Like, that's pretty crazy, right? But like, you know, we live in the US and nothing happens over here. And very quickly, like, oh, dang. Like, so it was, it was very, very difficult for that first month or two where things shut down. And the nature of what we do at the Speaker Lab is we teach people how to find and book paid speaking engagements. And when the world shuts down, it's like, the, the world is closed. We are not hiring anyone to book for speaking gigs. Like it's really difficult. So there's a couple of months there. It was definitely very, very stressful. But one thing that was that worked out really, really well is how quickly everyone, the speaking industry as a whole, really leaned into virtual speaking. So prior to the pandemic, virtual speaking was never much of a thing. It was something that event planners never took seriously. Speakers never took seriously. It's just, it existed, but nobody really paid attention to it. And what happened is when the pandemic hits, then virtual speaking becomes the only option. It becomes the only game in town. And so everybody leans into that. And what's been great is kind of fast forward here a couple of years is as live events came back, they did not come back in replacement of, but they came back in addition to virtual events. And so what Mm -hmm. has happened is there have been more events that largely didn't exist previously. And so you see a lot of live events today. You see a lot of virtual events today. You see a lot of hybrid events. You see a lot of speakers who are doing the, would you like fries with that? Meaning where you know you can go to a, an in and out you can get just the burger or you can get a fries and shake or whatever it may be. And so for a speaker, they may go do a presentation. They may go do a keynote, but then it's like, what if for the next six months, I did a once a month Zoom follow-up, a virtual training to kind of help implement what we've talked about and help apply that with your team. So you see a lot of that today. So mm. at the time, again, the, the pandemic was super, super stressful. I would say fast forward, I think it's been one of the best possible things to actually happen to the speaking industry. Yeah, that's amazing to hear. Give us some insights on speaking on Zoom versus speaking in person. Yeah, they're definitely different. And it's, I mean, at this point, a couple of years post-pandemic, people still love in-person. And it is something that we crave. The reason that you and I are on this call right now talking is probably because we met in person. And, you know, even the the few minutes that we've chatted together in person, like it just changes the dynamic of a relationship. And you just can't duplicate that via Zoom. And so the value of something like a Zoom or virtual is it allows you to connect with people all over the world and every time zone and allows you just to reach a a bigger audience. But right now I'm sitting in my office, you're sitting in your office, we're multiple time zones apart. And it's just a different environment versus if we're sitting in the same room, we all, you know, we've all talked about zoom fatigue and the reality of what that is. 
when you are speaking in person, you get that real-time feedback from an audience. You are looking at people's faces and the reactions. Are they smiling? Are they taking notes? Are they nodding? Are they asleep? Are they paying attention? Are they tracking with you? Or are they lost? And you lose some of that when you're with Zoom. If you're presenting to 100 people or 1,000 people on Zoom, you're giving your presentation and you just it's really hard to read the room because you just don't really know what's happening on the other side of people's screens. Are they paying attention? Are they checking their email? How many tabs do they have open in their browser right now? It's really, really difficult. So there's absolutely a time and place for virtual. It can still be very, very effective, but nothing will replace the in-person hugs, high fives, handshakes, and just being together in a live setting with a group of people. Yeah. For those settings where Zoom is the only option or it's the chosen option, what might you be able to offer to our audience about how to maximize a Zoom opportunity? Yeah. A couple of things I would recommend. One, I think if you're doing something virtual, definitely incorporate slides. I'm not always a fan of slides whenever it comes to in-person. And the reason why is that slides tend to become a crutch for people. And they become cue cards. And like a good litmus test for you is let's say five minutes before you're going to give your presentation, the slides don't work. Something doesn't work. Something breaks the computer, the projector, something falls apart, right? Is your presentation still ready? Can it still stand on its own? Okay. So I remember a couple of years ago, my wife was at a conference and she texted me and she said, Hey, I'm in this session that was supposed to start a few minutes ago and the slides aren't working. And the speaker just said, they cannot give their presentation if the slides don't work. So me, I'm going like, well, they should not be up there. <laughs> that, that's horrible. So a way to think about this is their slides should be an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. They should be an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. Because slides are really, really effective. They can be really, really powerful as long as they don't become a crutch for a speaker. And in person, oftentimes they become a crutch. Now, whenever it comes to virtual, slides work can be very, very effective just to maintain an attention and engage with people. If you're going to use slides, I actually recommend that you err on the side of having a lot of slides so that you're changing very, very rapidly. So there are times where I may give a, a 45 minute presentation and I may have 150 slides and I'm going through them rapidly uh, just to keep people engaged, keep people locked in. And it may be a couple of words on a screen. It may be a couple of bullet points. It may just be an image, you know, it may just be something like that that keeps people engaged. So that'd be one thing virtual. Another thing virtually is heavily rely on the chat, engage with people. So if you, if you are speaking in person, there are simple little things that you can do just to kind of gauge where the audience is at. How many of you are with me right now? Just raise your hand. Or how many of you have had this experience before? Raise your hand. Turn to your neighbor and say this. You see smiles. You see nods. You see there's things that people can do to interact with you that just keep them engaged. And you lose that via Zoom. So sometimes you, if you're giving a presentation, you might say, okay, everybody type in the chat where you're from. You get a flood of people in the chat there. If you're with me, just type in with you. You'll see a, a flood of with you. You know, Just something like that, where you're just getting some type of acknowledgement or response. So that's one thing to do. The other thing is to keep presentations short. Air on the side. Like No audience member was ever mad that a presentation ended early. So don't feel like, all right, I got three hours worth of content. We're just going to plow through it here on Zoom. Like just people just don't have that attention span. They just don't. So if you're supposed to give an hour presentation, I would err on the side of 45 minutes, maybe, maybe even 30 minutes, maybe do some Q&A and just other, something else. to. So it's not just a talking head the entire time where it's easy to disengage as an audience member, but do some Q&A where it draws the audience in more. So Virtual again, super, super effective. It can be it can be done really well, but you just you got to work a little bit harder there to, to keep people engaged. Yeah, those are some great points. I really appreciate that. Um, 
you've offered some great insights that cross over all the different speaking engagements that a person might have. I want to get a little more into platform skills, speaking on stage. It's a big event, right? Mm -hmm. It's a huge audience. You've shared some good insights already on this grant in terms of practice and preparation, in terms of using stories, the dramatic pause, right? Incorporated in the right spots, things like that. I like the idea, by the way, also that the message should stand on its own without the slides, Mm -hmm. right? What else can you share with us that great skills, key skills to be an amazing platform speaker? Yeah. So kind of piggybacking what we, one of the things we touched on earlier in terms of just practicing and preparing, not just in terms of the content, but even as you're, as you're communicating it, like just put some thought into it. Again, let's go back to the professional athlete example. Like they, they don't just like, okay, we're really, really good at dribbling a basketball and shooting it. But there's also a thought that goes into the plays and I'm going to stand here and you're going to cut there and you're going to pick here. And then you're like, there's intentionality that goes into that. Now, again, there it's kind of a, I heard it described one time that Speaking is kind of this mix of playing classical music and playing jazz, playing classical music and jazz. And you have to have a little bit of both. Classical music is here's a piece of sheet music and you play it exactly like it's written, right? There's no improv that goes along with that. This is the way it should be. Whereas jazz is much more like we're all kind of doing our own thing, but it all kind of comes together and and it works and it's much more improv. And speaking, great speaking is a little bit of both where again, you've got some intentionality of like, all right, here's the sheet music that I'm playing. I know the, the general idea of where I'm going through here. But I'm also going to allow for some spontaneity. I'm going to allow for what happens, those those raw, real moments that it's one of those like, oh, you had to be there type of experiences that we all shared. So allow room for some of that. But when you're thinking through not just the content of what you're communicating, but also from a stage standpoint, like where are you going to be moving? How are you going to be moving around the stage? One mistake that a lot of speakers make is uh, one of two things. One is they either get stuck behind a, a podium or a lectern and they just stand there the whole time, right? No, no, like get out behind that. Like don't, when you do that, you're creating a barrier between you and the audience. I want to be as close to the audience as possible. So there are some times where I will spend the whole time not even on the stage. I will get off the stage and kind of walk around the room because the closer I am to the audience, the more likely they're going to be able to engage because it's hard to disengage when someone's right there in your business. So moving around the room, the other mistake that speakers make from stage sometimes is they just pace back and forth, one side to the other, one side to the other, almost like a metronome. I've heard it described like a caged animal at the zoo. You know, you see the lion, you just go one side to the other, one side to the other. And sometimes it's just like, we just don't know what to do with ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with standing, delivering, moving one side, talking for a little bit, moving to the other side, talking for a little bit, but not just like this back and forth, back and forth. Like you're just running sprints or something. Don't do that. So one other thought would be, is that when you kind of thought through how you're going to convey something and the kind of the blocking of what that looks like on stage is to go check it out in the room itself. Because you may have like, I thought it through and I practiced and I've been in my hotel room or I was backstage, but what's it like when you're actually up on stage? So I would always do a quick sound check. I want to see what the lighting is look like. I want to see where the cameras are, if there's going to be video screens. This is a quick little pro tip, but in any room where there are cameras, doesn't matter where the audience is, but 90% of the room is going to be watching you on screen, not watching you on stage. And so get used to where the cameras are and spend a lot of time talking to the cameras because that's what people are actually looking at. You notice like people on the third row, they're right there. They're not watching you on stage. They're watching you on the screen. So understand where the cameras are so that you can make some eye contacts and, and connection there. But during like a sound check, 
And just being familiar with the stage. How big is the stage? If I go over here, am I out of the light? Or how does that affect things? How does this sound? Even whenever you are doing a sound check, one thing I like to do is is oftentimes there's other people kind of running through things on stage. I like to go sit in the back row just to see what it looks like. Because sometimes you're on stage, you're like, I feel like I'm being really big with my gestures and my arms. And you go to the back row and it's like, they are really small up there on stage. So everything has to be amplified. Everything has to be bigger. But try sitting in a couple different spots around the room just to kind of get a feel and a gauge of like, what's the room feel like? How does it look from certain angles, depending on on where you are? So yeah, those are a few just kind of rapid fire tips. Great stuff. Great stuff. Anything else you've got that you feel like uh, might help our audience be more effective or powerful at influencing groups of people in general? Yeah, speaking is absolutely one of these super effective and super powerful forms of not only communication, but also just influence. And so in this day and age, we still view speakers with an amount of, of recognition and prestige and it's kind of similar to surgeons or rocket scientists. You know, you meet someone and you're like, whoa, that's that's impressive. You know, there's just this level of authority that we ascribe to speakers. And so speaking, whether you want to speak a hundred times a year or you want to do five times a year, there's a lot of opportunities of how you can incorporate in this into your business and what it is that you're doing. And again, whether you're giving some presentations on a weekly basis to your team or some sales presentations here or there, or you want to, you say, Hey, I want to do some more regional conferences. I want to do some uh, national conference. I want to do some of these bigger keynote type opportunities, or I'm getting some bigger at bats to go speak to someone else's conference about presenting what we do and how we can help them and support them. Like speaking can be really, really, really effective for that. So again, whether you're brand new, just getting started, you don't know what you don't know, or you've been at it for a long time, lean into the opportunities that exist for speaking. Yeah. And that really speaks to the what you said toward the outset of our conversation about just preparation. I mean, taking the opportunity seriously, every chance you have to be in front of people, whether it's five people or 500 people or 5,000 yeah. people, like it's a powerful opportunity, right? And we should respect that. We should take that seriously. We should bring our best preparation, our best delivery to those opportunities every single time. So I respect that. And I respect that that's something that you clearly have done and that you teach and share with others. Great stuff, man. This has been awesome. How can people follow you and your work if they want to learn more from you and, and stay in touch? Yeah, everything we do is over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. So if you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to other podcasts. We have a podcast by the same name, The Speaker Lab Podcast. We got a 450 plus episodes over there, free content. Definitely check that out. Also have a book called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, Building Your Platform. So if you're going, I'm interested in booking gigs and I'm interested in getting paid, what do I do? That's the five-step process that we teach. So definitely check that out. But yeah, everything we do is over at thespeakerlab.com. Awesome. We'll link all that stuff in our show notes, Grant. And I really appreciate the time and energy you've brought to sharing great value with our audience today. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Grant Baldwin. That was awesome. I had a lot of fun with that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Interesting to hear how Grant's opportunity as a speaker began as a youth pastor and that he just got a lot of reps. And it's a, it really speaks to the opportunity that we have in Cutco Vector to speak in front of people so much because everybody who is any sort of leader in Cutco Vector is having opportunities regularly to speak in front of groups. And you get that practice, you get those reps, you start to feel the energy of what it's like to like deliver a great message and inspire people. And it becomes something that I think you want more and more of. He talked about practice and preparation and matching your practice and preparation to the level of stakes of the speaking engagement. 
when I speak at our annual conference at SLC, it is a highly prepared, practiced, rehearsed message that I'm giving up there. It's not off the cuff. If you're speaking at your weekly team meeting, maybe it's not highly prepared and practiced to the point where it's rehearsed, but it should still be well prepared, right? You think through, what do I want to convey? How am I going to convey it? Who am I going to recognize? How am I going to recognize them, right? These are things that should be thought through. A small amount of preparation can really enhance the effectiveness of your events. You think about running training, right? Are you on autopilot or do you occasionally take the time to review back and make sure that you're following your plan, that you're following your notes, right? Do you work on your interview script from time to time versus just relying on, oh, I've got this down, I'm good, right? Are you continuing to work on your craft? I think that's an important part of the preparation that is necessary. Grant talked about telling a lot of stories, particularly first-person stories, and the importance of capturing stories when they arise in your life. I thought that was great. He gave a lot of important platform skills like the dramatic pause and incorporating that in the right spots, movement and the proper way of movement, checking out the setting when you're speaking on a stage, right? So you can know what you're getting into in terms of lighting, seating, all that kind of stuff, and how you can fully engage the audience. He talked about thinking through how you'll convey your main points and just that whole idea again of preparing. I think that comes from respecting the opportunity that you have. When you're speaking in front of people, that means by definition that others have chosen to take their valuable time and give it to you to influence them, to affect them. And I take that responsibility very seriously and I want to bring my best to that every single time. The great Jim Rohn had this teaching points that he shared about being a speaker. And it was so simple, I thought it was funny. And I'll just share with you the first two points. He said, number one, have something good to say. And number two, say it well. Saying it well, Grant talked a lot about that today, right? All the preparation that goes into thinking through how you're going to convey your points, all that crafting that goes on, that's part of saying it well. Having something good to say comes down to a few things. It comes down to your own personal development, your own personal growth, learning, absorbing from each day, right? The lessons, the things that you can bring out, that you can share that will help other people, right? It also comes from producing and being good at what you do. That establishes credibility. That gets people to want to hear from you. And I also think last that it comes down to caring about adding value to others. When you care about adding value to others, you're more likely to absorb the stories, right? To get all the insights from life incorporated into who you are so that you can share them with other people because you want to make a difference in the world. That in essence is what a great speaker really does. It's not just about giving a speech on a stage, but it's about all the ways we influence other people every single day that's what we do in Vector, and that's definitely what we do in life as well. And so I thought sharing Grant Baldwin and his insights with this audience would be great today. I hope you enjoyed this. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free 
and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 